Hey everybody, welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being here today. Today you're listening to episode 101 and I'm talking with Rachel Stratton-Mills. Rachel is a swim coach for ASU and last year she traveled around the country with her husband and their 18-month-old daughter to learn about the different programs around the country and they also videotaped swim techniques for the different programs as well. I know I usually talk to runners on this podcast for the most part, but this is a really cool episode because we get to learn a little bit about a different sport. As runners, I know a lot of us use swimming as cross training. A lot of us have learned to love swimming because we've been injured or we've been trying to keep ourselves from getting injured and being a little bit nicer to our bodies by jumping in the pool. I myself have completed a half Ironman, so I kind of taught myself how to swim. Uh, back in 2013 and I still hop in the pool from time to time and definitely as I'm building my mileage and want to make sure that I'm not building too fast I use that swimming as supplementary uh, cross training and if you hang towards the end of the show I have listener questions and Rachel gives some really good answers about good ways to become a better swimmer and just technique and training advice for people that are trying to swim and learn to swim. So I know you guys are going to love this episode and Rachel is super conversational and easy to talk to. So it's a really great one. Hey, if you guys are loving the show, I would love it if you would leave me a rating and review on iTunes. It's one of the best ways potential new listeners can find us. And hey guys, check out our sponsor for this episode, Four Sigmatic. They make drinking mushrooms and superfoods delicious and easy to do. You guys go over to foursigmatic.com slash another and check out all they have to offer. You guys can use the code ANOTHER to get 15% off your order. And you know when you support a sponsor of this podcast, you are directly supporting this podcast. I drink the Chaga Elixir. Glenn drinks the Cordyceps Elixir before his workouts. And we have been all about the superfood blend mix to put in our morning juice. Every single morning, we are committed. So go to foursigmatic.com another. All right, you guys, without further ado, let's get this conversation started with Rachel. All right, well, we're talking with Rachel Stratton-Mills. Welcome to the show, Rachel. Thanks for having me. So we have a mutual swimmer that we know, Maggie, Mm -hmm. and she listens to the show. And I reached out to her looking for athletes that aren't necessarily runners to come on and and chat and she recommended you so super excited to have you on i'm excited this is going to be fun we most i talk to runners a lot on the show because that's kind of like my area of expertise but a lot of us runners use swimming for cross training so um at the end of the conversation i have a couple listener questions i pulled some people on my uh facebook group page so that'll be really fun but okay awesome where did you grow up rachel so I'm originally from Northern California, the Bay Area, um, and I was not a swimmer. Grew up doing the soccer and playing softball and, and a lot of tennis, um, and um, and then just kind of got into swimming at, at 17. I, I really started started swimming, but did all of that up in Northern California. So you swim for UCLA? I did, yeah. So I started, I learned how to do flip turns in the pool at 17, um, and then was able to swim two years later at UCLA. So that was really, I just, I loved it. It just felt, it clicked immediately. So it, it was, I was doing a lot of other sports and actually had started water polo. So I was swimming just 
to help my water polo skills. Um, and, uh, but it just felt right. Everything about the sport felt right for me, even though I was probably better at other sports I played, just something about it all clicked. So, uh, luckily I was able to kind of quickly move to a level where I, I could swim on the UCLA team. Well, that's insane because people start swimming and gymnastics and sports like that when they're like four, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. Abs like summer league at four and five and then they keep going from there. So what made you want to start at 17? Oh, because of the water polo? Cause, so at my high school, you had to do two sports. And at that point, or you had to take PE and no one wanted to take PE. <laughs> so at that point, I was like playing tennis and they started a women's water polo team. There had always been a men's and, um, and it was, everybody wanted to do it. And I had some friends who were on the, the guys team. And so I thought, well, this will be fun. Um, and it played ball. So I could throw the ball and I was left-handed, which is kind of a coveted thing on a water polo team having a lefty. Um, it turns out I was an awful swimmer, just awful. So um, all these girls tried out for water polo and I made the cut, but the coach was like, you really need to start swimming on a club team to get those skills up. Um, and and so there was a club team that practiced at the same pool. So I, I started swimming just because I needed to improve my swimming skills to even make it through the water polo season. Man, and so did you give up water polo for swimming? Yeah, I had to eventually. I mean, this all happened like junior year of high school. I started both. And then senior year, I did both. And then out of high school, I got like some offers to play water polo in college. But I kind of knew at that point I wanted to do both. If I was at that point, I was thinking I'm going to do both. And my swimming wasn't at the level. So I stayed home for a year, went to junior college so I could keep swimming. And then at the end of my first year of junior college, I was had this opportunity to swim at UCLA. Um, and that's kind of really what I wanted to do. And my heart was in at that point. So then I gave up water polo. So did you swim all four years? I didn't. So I came in as a sophomore because I had done that one year. Um, and then I tore my shoulders. So I actually had just two years. So I came in as a sophomore, was on the team for two years and then didn't have, you know, swim my senior year, which, you know, you think about how much I love the sport. And sometimes that's a message we have to tell our young athletes, like you can love it. And maybe it's, it was time for me to be done. I had mm -hmm. had these injuries. There was a, so many other things at the university I was focused on. And, and I just, I remember I went in and, and told the, my coach I was leaving I said, you know what? I just decided this is it. You know, I, I've got other things I want to do. And she's like, wait, you're quitting? I was like, yeah, it was been wonderful. But she's like, I've never had someone not cry while they do it. I was like, well, I'm at peace with it. Like, it's, I love it. And I knew that, that it would just, it was time. And, um, and so, you know, it was, it was actually like in this incredibly compact swimming career. But I think what that did is let me really keep this like passion and love I have for the sport. Mm. It seems like a very mature way to move on at that age. Yeah, probably. <laughs> um, so now, but you say it kept your passion, and you're now you're a coach. Yep. That's so I've been career. a coach. That's my career. That's what I do. And I, you know, I, we were at a competition this weekend, and I was talking to someone, and we were just I talking about how much we love it and how it's such a wonderful feeling to do something that every day you're passionate about. So I feel very lucky that I was found this this career path that I just absolutely love. 
so I guess the question I have with that, and I think about this with other sports too, with basketball, you know, you see a basketball coach and you're, people always think, at least I do, so was he a really good basketball player? Um, so the question is, how does being a swimmer or basketball player or runner or whatever translate to being a good coach? A lot of this, of course, there's nothing that's 100% of the time, but a lot of the, the really successful coaches we see were swimmers, but they were never the best ones. Yeah. You know, they were on their team, they were on a Division One team, or maybe Division Three or two, or, but they were never the best. And so I think it's great to have, obviously, a swimming background and a competitive swimming background and to be, have been at a division one level or just to kind of have been around it but a lot of the ones we see it's it's not the ones who are the absolute top um and i always think that's because we're just like a little unfulfilled in where we wanted to be in the <laughs> sport and so i think obviously being part of it is important and and but but i do think that um those of us who are always wanting a little bit more and for whatever reason you know, as athletes weren't able to get it, I think that helps keep us hungry as coaches. Mm, that's, yeah. So I feel like that's probably the same for other sports as well, would you think? Would you say? Absolutely. And I think there's like, you know, some top, top athletes, you know, maybe they're, uh, obviously their experiences were different. And as a coach, you need to be able to relate with every athlete the really talented ones the ones that are hard working but maybe it doesn't come easy to them and so I think you know the the more talented you are at the top of the sport your your perspective is different um not bad it's different so having come from kind of being like I was at the bottom of my collegiate team and I wanted so badly to be at the top so maybe I think for all sports it gives you that perspective of what the athlete who's just struggling to keep a spot on the team or struggling uh, to keep improving, it kind of helps you with like a, a wide breadth of, of experiences with all different kind of athletes. Yeah, that makes sense. So I want to talk to you about what you guys did leading up to the 2016 Olympic trials. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So you and your husband and your toddler, mm -hmm. Maddie, right? Yeah. Yep. You guys took an RV trip for 14 months around the country, visiting and observing over 60 different club teams. Yeah. What made you decide that you wanted to do that? And how did you make that work with life and everything? Uh, so insanity might have been one part, like maybe a beginning <laughs> of how we made it work. Um, you know, it had always been this vision of my husband. He runs a business called Go Swim, and they do online education, a lot of technical education for swimming and so he always had this vision of being on a motorcycle riding around the country visiting teams and really seeing what was happening at that grassroots level um and so you know we had been in new york it had been a wonderful five plus years we had been there um but we kind of saw this opening in terms of life and work where we could say this is this is it like if we don't take this opportunity now we're not going to really have it later or maybe not for 18 years when when our daughter gets out of school so um you know that was really kind of we saw that and so we sold everything and put a few things in storage but mostly sold everything and and got a 35 foot rv um and, you know, for me, it was, you know, we, you see in academia all the time that people take sabbaticals. Um, other industries, we forget that it's okay to put 
the day-to-day working on hold to just learn. And that's what we wanted to do. So it, it was weird to be off deck technically as a, as a coach of my own program or part of a program for that long. But it was really just so we could learn. Um, and that's what we did. And it was amazing. So not to get nosy about finances, but did you use the, <laughs> I'm just thinking like in terms of I try to do this now, did you use the money from selling all your stuff to like live off of for a year? No, not at all. So what we, um, you know, luckily with both my coaching background and my husband, he was, he was an Olympic swimmer and he's been running this technical business for over 15 years. So we're lucky that we knew enough people in the sport that we were able to, um, offer video evaluations. It's all through my husband's website. And so we were able to offer that. So what we wanted is we didn't want to charge the teams for us coming because that we just wanted to learn. So we wanted to be able to come into any team and have them have their doors open to us and them not having to commit to having a fee for visiting that type of thing. Um, and so what we did is we offered video evaluations to the athletes as individuals. We went through the coaches. We kind of, I had this form letter they sent out. So the athletes were able to sign up all through us. And when we got there, we were able to film them and the filming took, you know, each athlete, maybe two minutes. And then the rest of the time we were there, we would be able to evaluate, observe. But then when we went back to the RV at night, we did these evaluations through our mobile devices, through our iPads, our iPhones, using the software we have. So it was kind of nice. Like that helped us fund it by doing these stroke evaluations and it helped us get on deck in a way that every team could welcome us if they wanted us there, not feeling like they were trying to have a charge. Okay. Yeah. That's really smart. So you had, there was a business side of that as well. Okay. There was a business side. Yeah. So I'm a parent as well. So I'm just picturing you guys going back to your RV at night. Um, so you put, do you put the baby to bed or the toddler to bed? How old was she at the time? And then once she's asleep, do you start working or what does that look like? Yeah. So we put, uh, she was about one and a half when we started. So she had her second birthday on the road. Um, and so she had a little bunk bed, so we would put her to sleep. And and sometimes we had so, you know, there were certain teams where we had so many evals, we couldn't wait till she was asleep to do them. So one of us would stay in the RV. You know, you live outside your RV a lot during the day, during your free time. So maybe one of us with Maddie would be outside while the other one was doing evals inside. Or if it was cold out, the opposite. In the evenings, it was the same thing. Um, the RV was so small that, Honestly, once she went to sleep, you couldn't quite do them because we're talking into the phone or we're talking into the iPad to do these evaluations. Like, we don't want to wake her up. It's She's like two feet away pretty much. Yeah. Um, so we just did a lot of like moving outside. Some places there was no Wi-Fi to upload the evals. So we, you know, you'd have to like do some and then get into, we had a place where we'd have to, we had a tow car that we took with us. So we'd have to get into the car you know, and drive somewhere so we could upload the evals that we had done. So we just, there was all sorts of ways of getting it done, but um, it was definitely, definitely an adventure. Well, yeah, and there's two of you and one of her. So if one of you had to drive to like a library or something, yeah, stay. Okay, that's good. That makes sense. Um, now, my other parenting question there is, I've had, well, so I have three little boys mm -hmm. and so the sleep situation with all three of them has been very different mm -hmm. um 
so was she, I guess, probably what most parents are wondering, was she already sleeping through the night and everything once you started the trip? And how was that transition to say, okay, but now you're going to start sleeping in this RV every night at only 18 months, you know? <laughs> Well, we did have to take her. That's when we moved her out of a crib. So that she's always been, she's a very easy kid. So that we kind of knew that we would, it was a, it was, we were very lucky to have that type of child in, in all ways on this adventure. But, you know, to her, she didn't know any better. It was still home. She had a little bed decorated, all her toys. At 18 months, you don't know that your backyard supposed to look the same every day to her the backyard was just different every yeah. day the home was the home um but it was so what we had to do is we had to take this lower bunk bed um remove the bedding they had you know they they give you this mattress long it's very long and we had to move her crib mattress into it and take a toddler railing and screw drive it into the side because it was not there was no toddler railing so we did our little work we had to put a curtain up and um, the bed was very long, but we were worried she'd kind of get lost in there. So we put our toys at the back and we, we did this curtain rod. So we kind of made it her own little space um, and it was wonderful. So it was this nice little transition from a crib to a toddler bed. Um, and the beauty of living and sleeping just a few feet away is if she did wake up in the middle of the night, she could just talk to us. True. Yeah. So it actually was awesome. There wasn't much getting out of bed because she knew how close we were and we were in our bed and she was in hers. But if she woke up or if something was wrong, she could just talk to us. She knew right where we were and she'd go back to sleep. Um, so in terms of that, it was, it was kind of nice. Has she tra transitioned well back to like living in a house and everything? It, yes. And you know, we have the RV still and we took it out once since, since then. And you know, she loves it. It feels like this special place. Um, but it, it was weird, you know, we had been in New York City, which is small space, and she had just been little, so they sleep with you, or sleep, you know, when she was a baby, next to you in this sleeper that we had next to the bed, and um, so we've always been used to this small, small space, so now we have, you know, our room, and she's like down the hall, and it, it definitely took a while of her coming in sure. all the time throughout the night, like, because she couldn't just basically see us and know where we were. So, but she's wonderful and she loves it here. She just made me promise yesterday that we never will leave Arizona. So Aww. she's very happy and comfortable here now. So it was, it's, it's been great. So is she three and a half now? She just turned four last week. Okay. Oh, that's, well, I was going to say that's a fun age. For us, it was kind of difficult. We have a boy, but I hear that girls usually, I know every kid is different, but I hear that girls mm -hmm. usually turn that corner from the terrible threes or whatever when they turn four and they have this like really lovely year. She is, I mean, we are, we're really lucky. She's actually always been pretty easy and a lot of fun and very sweet. Um, and so it's, she's just hilarious. I was just gone for five days with the team at a meet. I come back, I'm like, your comedic timing just improved <laughs> dramatically since I've been gone. Like, she's a lot of fun. So we're very, very lucky. And, um, and you know, some of it is when we were living in New York City, she was in daycare. And I was kind of this thought of, I was raised by a you know, wonderful mother who was like, but taught us to be independent. And I was like, that, you know, she's going to be independent. And that's okay that that age. And, and I think it is fine. We, you know, we're all just doing the best job we can. And if the kid's in daycare all the time, that's fine. And I was thinking that's how it was going to be. 
And then we go on this 15-month trip where she had her mom and dad 100% of the time for 15 months straight, right? And the confidence that that gave her is something I wasn't expecting mm. at that age. And so that was been, it's been really nice. She felt very safe and, um, and, and so she has definitely been, uh, a very self, self-assured young lady, even at this young age. And it's, so it's a ton of fun. So she's in daycare now though. She's in, she likes to call it preschool, preschool. <laughs> but yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. And she absolutely loves it. I like that. Yeah. I think it as parents too. I think a lot of us parents like to call daycare school too. Yeah. And that you seems. Know, even when they're babies, we just call it school. I don't know why. <laughs> Maybe it makes us feel better. Like we're doing better. something yeah. productive. Yeah. They're, like, school. It's, yeah they're, learning. they're at school. They're they have to they're be learning. there. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So tell me what one of one or two of your favorite experiences doing this and this trip was um so one of our favorite spots in the whole country was alamogordo new mexico and part of it is because no one really knows what that is and unless you're randomly driving through new mexico you're probably not going to see it but there are these beautiful white sand dunes so we you, we stay at this campground, which as we're driving, and it's like, turn right here, five miles down is your destination. And we're like, but there's a mountain there. I think it's closer than five miles. And we're in this 35-foot RV. But it turns out this campground was like right at the base. It was one of the few campgrounds we went to where um, sir, there's no, we had no hookups. So it's, you know, called... You know, there's a lot of different ways, like dry camping or, you know, we, we basically, we had no hookups, we had no power. Um, and so you run off your generator, but most of those places, they ask you to turn your generator off at night. So you definitely feel like you're a little more connected um, to, to nature, even though you're in this big RV. Um, and it was gorgeous. And you walk up this mountain in the morning, right behind the RV, and you can watch the line of the sun come all the way along as it's coming towards you. Um, it's because it's just flat. And it, it that part was gorgeous. And then you're on these white sand dunes. We got, you know, those little snow saucers. And you're riding down the sand dunes at this incredibly slow pace. It's so comedic. Like, you're just thinking you're going to go down quickly. And you're barely moving. But there's no one there. So, you know, we went to, we went to Yellowstone, we went to Yosemite and those are, it's great. People are, are excited about, you know, the, the park system, but they're almost like, you feel like Disneyland. They're so crowded. So here you're on these, the white sand dunes at Alamogordo and you're looking around and there's no one around you. And I think all of that was kind of the best part of this trip is going, seeing these places that maybe no one knows about or not a lot of people know or have seen and really seeing how much, how many amazing places we have in this country. Yeah, so how did you find places like that? Did you ask the locals when you popped down in their city or their town? So some of those we had to plan. So basically what we did is we looked at our timeline. We knew we were ending in Omaha, Nebraska for Olympic trials. So we had that. There were some, a convention we needed to be at in September, like the first September in Cleveland. Um, we wanted to be in Florida for the winter. Obviously, we couldn't be somewhere where it was too cold. So we laid those things out, this general map. And then we sent out two notifications. That's it, one on Facebook and one through my husband's website. 
we're doing this. And we had over 85 teens requests. We had a form you could fill out. So we had 85 requests almost immediately. So we kind of sat back and go, okay, here's our general map. And we started to put people in place. And so some of it was then the fun part, once you had that is you knew, well, we know we have to drive from here to here. And then I just started looking online and seeing what great things are to see. So we knew it's like, hey, we're going through New Mexico. And you type, you know, Google was my best friend, like things to see in New Mexico. And then you kind of find what, what's exciting and you just make your plans accordingly. Um, and so that, that, was, that was a lot of fun. So tell me this, who's the ringleader in your marriage as far as like wanting to go to certain places or who, you know, picks the route and whatnot? <laughs> Um, we're both pretty good at just deferring. Like, I think if I'm on the pool deck coaching, like I don't want to defer. And if he's doing all of the stuff, he like puts on 10 different hats running his business. Like, but when we at, we're at home and it's fun stuff and it's the pleasurable stuff, we're pretty good at deferring if someone has a great idea. Um, I did most of the planning because he did most of the driving. So we shared that load pretty well, but it was kind of like when it you know, we wanted to enjoy it. Like we don't bring stress in when there's parts that don't need stress. Um, and so when it came to us knowing we had some free time between visits, I'd, I'd kind of look stuff up and we, you know, we were, we were both pretty good about it. Cause why not? Right. It's not like it, it was taking us away from something else. It was just something fun to add to the trip. So we shared that part pretty well. So would you do it again? Um, I would do aspects of it again. I don't think it's the right time in our life again right so uh, philosophically speaking I would do it again but in terms of like realistically not now um, but I, I just there's just some the sense of kind of joy I get when I get to just drive through a city that I've never seen see what the landscape looks like go to the grocery store. One of my favorite things of every time we got to a new town in a new state was going to the grocery store. Um, and so I would love to be able to take aspects of that. There's some things I wish I did on the trip that maybe in, you know, 30 years, <laughs> it's time like as older people to do it again. Um, but, and cause there were some things I wish now is like, Oh, why didn't we take pictures of all of this on the road? That type of thing. But in terms of like the enjoyment we got out of it, it was immense. It was, it was wonderful. I love what you say about the grocery store, because isn't that true? Whenever I go on vacation or somewhere, you know, I'm in town and I look at the people at the grocery store, people working there and I'm like, this is their life. This is their every day. Right. That's like getting to know this, the town. That's what it, it's not just whatever, like amusement park is there or whatever. I mean, that is our country. That's America. And to be able to experience that in so many different places, the food, how different the food is at certain stores, it's not all the same. You know, you, you think, well, one grocery store to the next, and obviously there's certain things, but it's not. I mean, I, I actually literally got stuck for 10 minutes at a grocery store in Wisconsin staring at the cheese aisle. Like, it blew my mind. I, yeah. I, I like, think I sent a text home. I'm like, uh, I'll be a while. I, don't, <laughs> I, I was by myself. Like, we just depend. You know what? We were staying at one of these Jellystone campgrounds, which have all these activities and fun. So my husband and Maddie stayed back so she could kind of do all this fun stuff. I'm like, I'll do the grocery store run. And I'm like, I've never seeing so many cheeses, so many options in one grocery store. It was amazing. And so that part to me, it was like, that's what a lot of people don't really get to do is 
kind of, I feel like I lived in over 40 states, you know, I've, I've lived in, even if it was just a little amount of time, because I got to see some of those things. Yeah, on average, how long did you stay in a city? It totally depended. There were ones that were <clears throat> one night as we were passing through, there were ones where we went to a one-day visit, um, but then we had to stay in uh, Hinkley, Minnesota for 10 days, that tried our patience just because we had done one visit and then we were actually speaking at something and we needed some place to bridge the gap and that's where it was. And so it just kind of depended on what we had going on. Did you come through Indiana? We did. Yeah. We went to Fort Wayne, best children's museum in the country oh, or children's nice. zoo, not the museum, the children's zoo in Fort Wayne, Indiana was amazing. I didn't know they had a zoo in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Yeah, it's a small one for yeah. children, but it was amazing. Okay, I'm in Indianapolis. Did you come to Indianapolis? We did, yep. Oh, you did? Okay. IUPU, and we, I assume, or when? Um, no, we just went to, well, we went to Carmel. Oh, Carmel High School? Um, yeah, in the club team there, exactly. Sure. And okay. um, so when we were in Indianapolis, we were staying at this campground that was outside of the city, and there was a storm, and the campground flooded. Only time this happened. Oh, so we had to, like, kind of emergency evacuate with us and all these other ones. Everyone had to help each other because you couldn't see the road anymore. Um, my husband stayed up all night, like kind of doing watch because if it, obviously if it got too high, it would have started coming in. So he was making sure we could make it till the morning. Um, and in the morning it was like my daughter and I, Maddie and I had to stay in Like all these people helped each other kind of get out so that was that was our fun story of indianapolis man if i would have known i would have just had you plug into my backyard that would have been awesome yeah. that would have been much better than the flooded sure. but it makes for a good story yeah, i guess now so you, now you have a story okay now i have a question on the caramel thing and the club thing um i remember in high school there was a really good gymnast at my high school and she never uh she never competed for our high school because she was so good that it was only club so are, mm -hmm. these, are these kids that are competing club in Carmel or wherever, do they also compete for the high school? So every state's a little different. So there are states like Ohio and Indiana where if you swim for your high school team and you don't swim for your club team at the same time. You have to do one or the other. Then there are states, you know, it's all over the country a lot, but like California where you could do both. So you could be part of your high school team um, and you could still go to club practices on the weekends or the early mornings and you could get both. So it just depends on the situation. There are some phenomenal swimmers like these Carmel girls that their club coaches are also the high school coaches and the pool is the same. So they can do high school and it doesn't really interrupt their training for uh, even the bigger picture stuff. Um, so every place is different. And then, you know, I was in New York City for years coaching and, and we had some great swimmers who were able to do both. And then somewhere their schools didn't even have a high school team. So it really depends on like where they are and kind of what the situation is. Well, every year when the state championship comes about for swimming, I swear my husband, who, by the way, my, our husbands have the same name. My husband's name is Glenn as well. One N or two? Two. Okay. Is that, what's yours? Yes. Okay. Yeah, two. Well, good, because every time Glenn sees it spelled with one N, he's like, oh, they don't spell it right. They're missing an Yeah. Um, yeah, my husband does the same. Yeah. But when I was <laughs> when I was researching you guys a little bit last night, um, I Maggie sent me a bunch of questions, and uh, I handed the phone to Glenn to look over. 
And he goes, wait, hold up. She's got a husband named Glenn? Because <laughs> it's just not a super common name. Right. Um, but anyway, back to what I was saying is, uh, every year I swear he's like, oh, there goes Carmel again. They haven't lost a state championship in 20 years or something insane like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that like a school like that? Is that because it's just so big and it's in an area where I don't parents have the money to send their kids to club when they're like five? I think the nice thing with swimming is that I don't, I, I think it's whether, um, you have a good club supporting it. Cause kind of a lot of places are able to send their kids to club from an early age. I just think there, they have a really great club system bringing these swimmers up and there's such a tight integration between the club and the high school that they can make sure that everything the club does supports the high school swimming and when the high school swimming is going on it still supports the long-term goals of of those club kids it there's a lot of tension in a lot of places in the country um where the club coach has nothing to do with the high school and they one or the other gets upset and they're kind of almost like fighting over who gets to coach the kids during that time so I think it just, because there's such a seamless integration between the two, it works really well. Hey guys, real quick before we continue my conversation with Rachel, I want to thank Four Sigmatic for supporting this podcast. We all heard about Four Sigmatic when Allie Kiefer was on the show and she told us how much she was loving the products and so I had to try it myself. And after I tried it and loved it, I reached out to them because I thought they would be a perfect fit for this show. You guys, Four Sigmatic makes drinking mushrooms and superfoods delicious and easy to do with their mushroom coffees, mushroom superfood blends, and mushroom elixirs. They sell tins and at-home use and single-serving packets as well. It is so easy. With the Chaga Elixir, which is the one that I love, I literally just pour the contents into a cup of hot water, mix it up, and there you go. We are loving the superfood blend. We use it in our morning juice every single morning. And Glenn's been using the Cordyceps Elixir as well before his big workouts. I am taking it easy right now, still kind of recovering from Monumental Marathon and enjoying a little bit of downtime. So he has been testing out the Cordyceps and he's really loving it. You guys can get 15% off your order if you head over to 4sigmatic.com another and use the code another. That's F-O-U-R. S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C dot com slash another. Use the code another to get 15% off your order. I'd love to hear what you think about it once you try it out. All right, you guys, let's continue my conversation with Rachel. What are, of all the clubs and and, uh, teams you checked out, what are some of your, I don't want to say favorite, but what are some of the programs that you were like, ooh, they're doing this really well? Um, so one is in Minnesota and my friend Kate, Kate Lunston is up there, um, Aqua Jets in Minnesota and, and what she does really well. And that's what we looked for, like somebody doing something that was stood out from everyone else. And what she does really well is she does such a phenomenal job of creating a team culture. And sometimes in club, you don't have the same as in like a college team. Um, but she does this thing called the circle of love. So it's their big dry land area, big circle of chairs. And, and I think she, you know, once a week, depending on the week, you know, about that. Um, and there's a topic. And somebody that week is going to stand in the middle of that circle and talk to the whole group. And some topics are funny. Some are 
defined, you know, not serious. Some are really serious and heartfelt, and sometimes people are crying and sometimes they're laughing. I think that does is it really shows everyone, like, everyone's vulnerable. Everyone on this team is vulnerable, and that club will go to meets, and their women will win, go first, second at these relays because they have such this this desire to, to race for each other and race for the team. Um, and she does that so incredibly well. And we don't really, didn't really see that anywhere else. Well, I wasn't expecting that answer. That's so good. It's like, <laughs> well, good. I mean, <laughs> well, I'm just thinking like you're, I mean, I was thinking, were you going to talk about some random swimming technique that I didn't know about? Or you know what I mean? Like, but I love that connection she's giving her athletes to each other. Well, we, what we love, too, is that a lot of times no one talks about that stuff. That's yeah. exactly it. You know, you go to these conferences and you hear about how um, this person's doing this much training and that person's doing this training and this is the, but there's a lot of different ways to do it well. There's really great programs and they all have these different philosophies on how, like, they're actually going to do the training and they still have good results, but there has to be something else. So the teams we found that are great aren't just working harder than someone else. They're, do, they're working really hard. They're consistently spreading their message, whatever that message is. And then there was something else they were doing exceptionally well. And that's why I like to talk about Kate and her team because this isn't the kind of stuff that you hear, but it, it's important. She was still working hard. She wasn't just putting the kids in a circle and only <laughs> talking about feelings. Sure. But everybody was working hard, you know. So there had to be something else that people do on top of it. Just the hard work isn't enough because unless you're going to commit to being the absolute hardest worker in the entire world, then someone else out there might be doing more than you. You have to be doing something else with it. Okay, so now you're coaching at ASU. Congratulations. Mm -hmm. That's a recent, Thank you. recent job, right? Yeah, yep. Have you now... How do you then use that to kind of not copy what she's doing, but translate it into your programming? Well, I think it's not only what we saw with her, but what we saw with some of the other really exceptional teams. You know, we only talk about really like three or four teams that we found to be exceptional. A lot of very good teams out there. Um, but, it, you know, it is the idea of follow through of what you're asking. Because the other teams that we saw that were exceptional did something like Kate did, where it was this other thing, this other tangible thing they did that was exceptional, that on top of the hard work. So it's now just saying, if if we're asked for something, if I'm going to ask somebody for something, I need to follow through with that. I can't expect to tell them once, walk away, and somehow that change is going to happen. I have to make sure that whatever I'm really believing in or what, what we're doing as a program or what we want them to achieve, that we are following through with that and we're making sure that we're just not saying it on a whim and then forgetting to say it again. So instead of saying 20 different things and then mentioning it once, you know, do that few, do those two or three things and be better than anyone else in the country and make sure that I want to make sure personally as a coach that I follow through with that and I don't get distracted and ask for 10 other things. Well, that could be translated to any other sport and uh, teams that you lead at work, you know? Mm -hmm, absolutely. Yeah, this just isn't about, this can be translated to so many different things. Okay, so who are some of your greatest influences as a coach and swimmer and just in life in general? 
I think for me, I just, I try to take note of what everyone around me is doing, even the, the struggles I've had and people that maybe haven't been great in everything they do. It's, it's about compartmentalizing each person. So I think what sometimes we do is, I know this is like a roundabout way to answer it, but sometimes you're like, well, I'm watching this person and they don't do A, B, and C as well as I think. So I don't even look at D, E, and F. But I, I try to look at everyone and go, you may not do this part exceptionally well, but I shouldn't then discount everything you do um, because maybe you do something else. And so I feel like everybody I've worked with uh, all along the way has really added to what I what I do and, and how I kind of try to be as a coach um, and just try to take everything from them, even if there was parts of it that I didn't like or that weren't their strong suits. Like, don't let that cloud the rest of it and really try to look at each person. So I think every place I've been and everyone I've worked with, I try to take something. And maybe that's, I don't think that worked that well. I don't want to do that. But instead of just, you know, letting it pass, ju you know, pass judgment and move on, just try to learn from each person. That's really solid advice. Yeah, I mean, we're all good at something, but not everything. <laughs> right. You know? Um, so what do you look for when you're recruiting athletes? We look for people who believe in what we're about, right? Like every program is different. And I think sometimes, you know, you think, well, you just want the fastest swimmer, but you want, like, we want to work hard and we're going to work hard in a certain way. And we want people who that works for. And it doesn't have to work for everybody. You know, we want people who are excited about being part of a program that we're coming up. We want to keep improving. And so we might not be on our women's side top 10 right now, but we're going to be. And we want people who want to sit back and say, that's really exciting, right? Maybe I could be recruited by one of these top 10 schools, but I like the idea of coming here and knowing that's where we're going to be and being part of that growth. And that's what we're looking for is like, I just think it's always good to just be honest with what you're about, right? Don't try to sugarcoat it to someone because then the end result isn't going to be good. Mm -hmm. Be honest about what your beliefs are and what you're about and, and the coaching style and the, the vibe of the team and then let people fit into that and who get excited about that. And that, that's kind of something we try to do. Is there something special about coaching someone who, um, I don't know if I would say underdog, but someone like you mentioned before whose talent might not be like top tier, but they are a hard worker and you see them break through because you know they're so passionate and working so hard? Well, I think as college coaches, we need, we need to do that and have both because there's always that debate. Like, is it all recruiting? Is it all coaching? Like, which is more important, your recruiting or your coaching? And it's not one or the other. Like, we, we want to be able to recruit and get the top athletes who have goals of being one of the best teams in the NCAA and have goals of making international teams and doing big things during the long course season. But then you also then have others who who might not have been, like you said, that top, top tier during the recruiting time. But if they're motivated, we need to coach them up and, you know, make sure we're helping them get to that, that top of their potential. So it's definitely really important to do both. And it's exciting. You know, that's that's where we, like, earn our salary, right, is, like, take, <laughs> having those kids who might not be the fastest and really working with them. And all of a sudden, you have someone like that, and they're making a huge impact for the team. And, and that's it's pretty exciting. Okay, so I have some questions from listeners. Okay. And then we'll do um, some other fun end of the question, podcast questions. Um, 
So just to give you an idea, I would say, <laughs> I always try to tell people, my podcast isn't all about running because I actually do have guests on where we talk zero about running or sports at all. We literally just talk about their career and life and whatever. But I would say 90% of my listeners are pretty avid runners. Um, okay, so Katie Barkley says she is interested in knowing examples of workouts that as runners we could do that aren't crazy um, and something like say I'm training for a marathon and I know that my body like I need to only probably run five days a week to not get injured what's a good swimming workout for someone like that I think when people are starting to come into it anything they can do utilizing intervals even if they start light because what that does is that clock helps you kind of stay honest and know if you're seeing improvements so we see a lot of people who are you know other sports and doing running or cycling or even maybe triathletes who's the swimming is their their lesser you know their least experience in that and they just get in and they swim straight for an hour well I think sometimes that's really hard to to gauge any improvement or to be aware of, of your speed so I would say anything they could do if there's a clock available um, and everyone's level is going to be different so for some you know it might be just doing 50s right like down and back uh, but having an interval coming in, you know, and, and most of your, the, the runners, I'm sure, know about interval training. Yeah. So just just doing that in the pool. And it doesn't have to be intense to start out. It's just keeping you on that pace and, and helping you through it so you're not just out there kind of swimming back and forth for an hour. So, you know, you could they could start out with single laps if they're really um, new to swimming or doing 50s, go up to 75s. Obviously, it depends on where their level is. But if they have a clock there and they're really able to start utilizing that, that's going to be a big benefit. Oh, man, people are blowing this post up. We have a lot of runners interested in swimming. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Afton asks, um, she just started swimming regularly and needs to work on her breathing technique. Any thoughts on common challenges for beginner swimmers that need to be aware of with breathing technique? Yeah, make sure you let your air out underwater. So sometimes people hold their breath underwater when the face is in the water. And when they turn to breathe, they exhale and try to inhale during the breath. And then that that's too much. So you let the air out underwater between breaths. So when you turn your head to breathe, all you're doing is breathing in. Mm, okay. So, you know, I talked to another swimmer, Michelle Conkley. She's a Paralympic swimmer. Um, and she uh, convinced me, along with some other random old man at the pool who decided to give me <laughs> unsolicited advice, <laughs> um, I actually, in the long run, ended up appreciating his advice. Uh, but it's funny, because when I go to the pool to swim, uh, I think people assume I might be like an okay swimmer because I look like I'm in okay shape, but in reality, I'm a really slow, sloppy swimmer. Um, but... So she and he convinced me to really breathe out of both sides, which has been a struggle for me. Um, I favor my right side, and that's just what yeah. I'm comfortable with. So the day the old man, and this is after Michelle and I talked, said, hey, you know what, you should really think about this. I committed to doing it for like a 1,000 meters. For the rest of the swim, I'm doing it. And though it was difficult me, difficult technically, because it was just not natural, I could tell that I was being so much more efficient, even though I was, like, going slower, you know? Mm -hmm. So how do we, like, train ourselves to say, this is uncomfortable to breathe out the left, but, like, I know this is the right way to do it? Well, you don't, I think that there's two parts to that. 
I think for most people who are just swimming for fitness, you don't have to breathe out of both sides, but you do want to have time between the breaths. And that's when you were breathing out of both sides, you were probably breathing every three strokes. So you'd breathe one, two, three, breathe. That's what helped your technique. What the problem becomes is when people breathe, one, two, breathe, one, two, breathe, you become lopsided. So if you give, I mean, it's always good to try it. And if you just can't get by breathing to the other side, look at, as we get older, sometimes we have neck stiffness, our head doesn't turn, what injuries on that side, then breathe every four so that you're still getting that time in between the breaths to let your body even out and not be as lopsided, but you're able to still breathe to the one side. So I think that's the, the goal with, with swim training, especially as, as we're as adults and maybe not for competitive purposes is like, yes, there's this like gold standard of what, what could be done, but then there's reality of what we've all gone through. And maybe we have a, you know, an injury on the neck turning to that side. So I think there's that, that option. If you've tried it and you just can't go the other side, at least take more strokes between your breaths to the same side. You know what though? I, if I try to do that four in between, I am so winded by the time I get to the fourth that I'm like, <gasps> like I, it's like, seems like so long for me to go without taking a breath. I know, but you can do it, Lindsay. <laughs> I believe in you. Um, <laughs> you you can, you will build up to that. And like I said, there's nothing wrong with doing the three, but there might be some people out there who's like, I just can't breathe to my left. Yeah. I've tried, I've tried, I can't do it. So that's a, it's another option, but it is, it actually is very good to learn to be a little calmer while holding your breath, slowly letting it out is something that helps. And, and a lot of times non-swimmers when they're in the water are very tense. So something nice about learning to kind of take a few more strokes I said breathing every four just to try to calm down between breaths could help a little bit yeah so I in 2013 I did a half Ironman and I'm telling you when I hopped in the pool for the first time like I I had not swam like that since I was probably 10 but I just like I literally swam five laps the first time I'd, I'd swam and then I would just kind of like increase my mile my meters and well, I was swimming twice a week, three, three times a week, actually, probably for, you know, 2,200 meters. Um, but Jamie's question here is in relation to the triathlon, because I'm, man, when I did that half Ironman, my goal was to get through the swim, just finish that 1.2 mile swim and mm-hmm. get to my bike, you know, and, and I was definitely in the bottom, like 10% of my age group. It was crazy. But, um, she says, for runners considering triathlon, which I can relate to uh, for those reasons, any tips for beginners on how to be good enough to race? I would say try to find a, swim, a master's swim team. I, re- I really, you know, a lot of times you can go and just try it out. So a master's swim team is an adult swim team for fitness. And you're always going to be able to, with a little bit of guidance, make some big jumps, right? I mean... It is important to be in the water because a lot of people are uncomfortable. And so being in an environment where maybe you're given a little bit of workout, given some direction, I think goes a long way. Uh, And it's scary. It's scary. You think, well, I'm not a great swimmer and I can't go to this like organized workout. Um, But every master's workout has people who are brand new to it. So it's not like you're going to go and 
be right in there with the really experienced people. But I do think even if you go for one to try out and talk to the coach, start to give some understanding of like getting more comfortable kind of exercising as a swimmer. And so there's, there's master swim teams all over. So I definitely suggest giving that a try when you're just starting swim training. Okay. I've got three more. Um, if you're not a strong swimmer and don't feel naturally comfortable in the water, what are some simple tips or workouts or moves to get started to become a stronger swimmer? I love what they said about not feeling comfortable in the water. Try to not worry about going back and forth and just kind of do some bobs underwater. Let the air out. Relax. Anything you can do to feel more relaxed in the water. Because I, I know that feeling like even though I'm a swimmer, I can remember going and, and we were doing some work and doing some open water filming in Florida um, with this open water champion. And, and I went in because my husband needed like an extra body swimming in the shot because it was like a, we we're I like kind of just because the sign said there were crocodiles in oh, there yeah. and I thought this was ridiculous. So I, I know that feeling of that little bit of panic and like that we all know that that doesn't help us perform. So I would say if you're just getting new to it, try to get comfortable in the water, even floating in the water. Like I said, Bob's kind of letting your body drop to the bottom by letting your air out coming up. I think that is going to go such a long way so that when you get in, you're not feeling kind of like a tightness or a panic. Yeah. And that you mentioned open water. I mean, I think that that's a challenge for a lot of us that are interested in doing the triathlon thing is because you, you train in the pool at a gym and then you go to your race and you have to swim in the open water and that can be terrifying. For sure. It could be terrifying for us swimmers. Yeah. So I would, so you want to already be started being comfortable in the water. Like I, I've done one triathlon in my life, which is a kind of a funny story, but I remember the swim part. It's still, I wasn't used to the open water, but once I kind of got in, I went back to just like knowing what I was doing and feeling comfortable as I swam. So you want that, the actual swimming itself to kind of at least, even if it's slow, wanting to be able to feel comfortable. Okay, I know we're coming up on our hour, but you have to tell the story then if it's funny. Okay, so I did a, I did a sprint triathlon. So I was coaching up in Dart, at Dartmouth, and so there was a sprint triathlon up in Vermont. And so I go for the swim, and, you know, I'm in the third wave, right? Younger males, older males than the younger females. And so I'm in the third wave, and I end up being, like, the fifth or sixth person out of the water completely, like wow. past everyone. And I get out and I hear people go, whoa, there's a female coming out already, all this, right? And I wasn't even that good of a swimmer, but it just, there's a huge difference when you've been a competitive swimmer and then, you know, totally. um, most, okay. So I'm like, well, okay. So I run, get on my bike and I realize I didn't put my shirt on. I'm, I've got my helmet on, I'm riding. So I start to put my shirt on. I'm not a bike rider. It's, it's terrible. Um, and I, I'm putting my shirt on over my helmet, kind of like as I'm going away. And I hear somebody go, wow, that's hardcore. And I'm like, no, it's stupid. That's what that is. Like, I'm just, so I'm riding along and, and everyone starts passing me, but I'm like, okay, I could tell they have really nice bikes. They are all geared up. So I felt okay with them passing me. Somewhere in the middle of the bike, remember, it's a sprint try. This isn't that long, but a guy passes me on a mountain bike with jean shorts on. I don't even think he was in the race, and he is passing me, and it just went downhill from there. So for everyone 
who is a great runner and like struggles through the swim at least you perhaps only struggled to swim i only did the swim and then just this terrible there was literally an 85 year old man who lapped me just on the run like i'm like it was terrible (laughs) so it's like well i had that moment of glory coming out of the water that was it so that was the end of my triathlon career and i hear that from swimmers a lot with triathlon because the swim is though it's a long swim it's like such a short portion of the totality of the race especially in like an iron man you know um because like i my husband's in a full iron man and he so we are runners you know first Mm -hmm. and i think he did like a 1052 which is a really solid time for his first and only iron man but man he got out of the pool you know at this like so far back and then Mm -hmm. he made a little bit of time on the on the bike and then once he got to the run i mean he just he didn't get passed by one person and he passed people the whole time and it's like man that's got to feel good as the swimmer to come out like so early but like how defeating does that feel to then get past the every other part like you're constantly getting passed for the rest of it it's a terrible feeling it is i wonder what it, <laughs> i mean there's good reason why they don't end them with the swim because we don't want people drowning after they've ran a full marathon and for sure and people already do right there are right. already some people who the level of the swimming they just not up with so you couldn't imagine having it be at the end yeah it's far um, okay, that's hilarious. So don't. So at least you're not getting passed by Jean Short guy on the bike. Yeah, uh, right. That was so. I just stopped riding a bike. I felt that was a good solution oh, for that. Oh, you stopped. Yeah. You were like, I'm done. Well, oh, no, I finished that, that race, finished but from then on, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because then you went on to get passed by the 85 year old man. Yeah, um, it was good. <laughs> okay, so two more questions from listeners. Karen asks. How much, okay, this is a good question. How much swimming is considered a decent workout for someone who is not an average swimmer? I never know how far I should be trying to go to get benefits, you know, in comparison to running. So, for instance, I always say, okay, if I can run, like, 30 minutes, at least if I don't have time for anything else, I feel like I got, you know, something in. What is that comparable to swimming? I, uh without like trying to like give this wishy-washy answer it kind of depends on the level i mean and that's what we're learning a lot from training right in every sport and everything we do we used to think it's all about the amount of time but what is the intensity so if you go to a master's pro if you're in a master's program going to a master's practice those are often an hour um and you know and they're they're moving for most of it. But if you're brand new to swimming and maybe you are doing some interval training and you're kind of keeping your heart rate up, 30 minutes was going to be great, you know. Um, so it really just depends on how much of that your heart rate's elevated, right? Um, and But I would say if you're just starting, perhaps 30 minutes in the water is good. Okay. Um, and then as you're kind of going to really trying to get a workout in, trying to get a workout in uh, for about an hour you know, maybe 2,000 yards if you're swimming in a yard pool is, is nice. But, you know, everybody's, that's the thing with swimming is that everyone's kind of at this, like, totally different level when they start. Um, but I would say if you're just starting, try to be in for 30 minutes and, and, and make sure you're doing some, you know, getting your heart rate up. And, um, and then from there, for like, really work, doing a workout, usually they're, they're about an hour for kind of those master's type workouts. Okay, last question. Where is a good place to find swim workouts, like online, for an hour to be used for full training? 
Um, there are, I would just say, if you're just looking online for stuff, of course, I would say go to goswim.tv, um, my husband's website, and there's a ton of stuff. There are some swimming workouts on there or linked to the blog, but mostly there's just a lot of ideas of drills to do um, and to incorporate in. You could Google swim workouts, and there's a lot of different people out there who kind of have things on there. Um, but but so you know, I, I don't know. We don't. I don't really end up using those in terms of because we write our workouts, of course. But I would say for anyone listening, really, part of the reason if you see a triathlon and you see the competitive swimmers who were in the past competitive swimmers so much ahead, that's because of the technique they have, not just the workouts they're doing. So I would say to anyone who's just trying to get into it, is go to GoSwim.tv just to do a nice like shameless plug for my husband's business. But there are so many videos and technique videos on there to just give you ideas of how it should look. And I think starting that is the most important because I'd say if someone's coming new to the sport, because that the swim portion is so much less than everything else or if you're just doing it for cross-training, you don't want an injury, I would say put that priority on, on getting the technique right and then kind of go from there. That's good advice. Yeah, I um, have oftentimes wanted to ask somebody or my husband uh, to video me swimming a lap just to see, like, what am I really looking like? Because I have no idea what I look like to people watching. You know, not that it matters what they're seeing, but I think that that could be really helpful. Obviously, you agree because you guys went around the country and did we, analysis. Yeah, and we actually, if we actually do analysis of anyone, like you have to pay, of course, but yeah. if you have a video, you can send it to go swim, oh, and we cool. have our experts do an analysis. And there's guidelines on there on like how you can film it to make sure it's the best footage possible. So where it is, it's I mean, we're all visual learners, like right? That's if we see it, we're gonna understand it better. So it's a great idea to have have people film you. Okay. Okay. So if anybody listening wants to do that, you could have actually have uh, your team analyze what they're doing. Okay, very cool. Yep. All right, Rachel, so what's one thing professionally or personally that you have not done yet that you want to do? Well, my ultimate goal is to be, you know, the head coach of the U.S. Olympic team. I mean, I think if you want something, you put it out there. And, and I'm lucky that I love what I do, and I have years and years and years to get there. I have no rush in thinking it's going to happen anytime soon. But I want to be on st – I've been in, on staff for international trips, but never have been on staff for an Olympic staff. Um, and, you know, eventually wanting to get that, – that, that's something I'm – that's what I'm working towards. Uh, yes, I love that you put that out there because – I feel like it's a very important quality for all of us to try to have to not be ashamed or embarrassed of big goals that we want to go for, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I just you saying that actually inspires me to, like, want to make this podcast grow to even so much bigger than it already is and not be like, oh, why do I think I can do that? Because I can, right? Absolutely. You know what? I, I think... Luckily, I know this sounds terrible, but luckily most of the population settles for mediocrity sure. and that makes it easier to get to where we want to be. So, you know, you talk to a lot of people about, you know, finding what's the best path for them. It's find something you're passionate about and just work harder than everyone else. And most people make that so easy for you because they don't work as hard. And so if you're really focused on your goal and you put it out there and you keep working towards that, Luckily, most of the population steps out of your way. Well, I look forward to seeing you be the coach of the Olympic team one day. 
I hope. I'm keep working towards it. Yes. Okay, um, what, if you had one message to send to the world, what would it be? Oh, that's, that's a good one. I would just say, be you, find something you're passionate about, and don't be ashamed to kind of be you and work towards it. Um, you know, I, I, I think I've spent a lot of time, even though I've always felt like comfortable in my skin, you always kind of question it and, and, and it's just be yourself and find the people who enjoy that. And that doesn't mean, you know, you want to be kind to people. And if you want to learn, it's like that balance. Like I, I felt like some point I felt like I was trying to learn and, but don't learn and grow in a way that compromises who you are, you know, feel, feel good about who you are and, if you're comfortable and you're working towards your goals and you can be yourself, you're going to be more successful. What's an accomplishment you're most proud of? Um, gosh, I have like what the like store-bought answer is, my <laughs> daughter, right? Oh, I mean, sure. am I supposed to say that? Like, but I don't, you know, I think, <laughs> I don't, I would, I think that it's just like working to where I've, I've been and, um, and I, I was speaking to a group at the Olympic Training Center and I was showing them this kind of this talk about developing the young athlete. And there was a picture of this group I had um, from New York. And in that group, there was about 15 of them, actually maybe more like 20. And and two of them were nationally ranked athletes. One of them went on to make the Olympic team multiple times. Um, but in that group, this is just your club group, right? So it wasn't some elite program. It was just everyone in the area who swam and were in this age group. Um, they all swam in college every single one of them. And some went to junior college, some went to division three, uh, some went to division two, some stayed local, some, but to me, it's, you know, we have this amazing gift of being able to influence these young adults and make their life better. Yes. I want them to swim fast, but that's just part of it. So I think maybe that kind of idea of like, hopefully my athletes know it doesn't matter if you were the fastest or the slowest in the group, if you were there to work hard, I was going to care about you. And so kind of being able to revisit that and see that every single one of them loved the sport enough to go on. That was, that was pretty awesome. I would say that was be my biggest accomplishment. That's good. I love that. What's the best, most recent book you've read? Oh, I just finished it two days ago. It's called the other Wes Moore. Okay. And it's about two guys grew up in the same kind of bad Baltimore neighborhood and one of them continues on to be a Rhodes Scholar and one of them is incarcerated for life for murder and so it's interesting because um, the Rhodes Scholar is the one who wrote the book and these two were like a year apart grew up in the same neighborhood one ended up kind of moving a little bit but when they were young and they have the same name so it was a really awesome perspective of um, kind of what influences we have around us and how are some of them insurmountable, right? If we're in a group of people that are all doing bad things, is it insurmountable to think we can make good choices? But it's also really motivating to see that like little things you do can make a big impact in the long-term success. And really anyone has the ability to do amazing things. So it was, it was great. It was a really good book. And, and what I loved is the author didn't spend too much time like trying to recap the message. You just read the story and you got the message. I like that. Did he talk to, did he interview the other Westmore during? He did. Okay. He did. Yeah. Sounds it's, really it's, good. it's really great. It was, it was very uplifting in a lot of ways, but also, um, you know, I'm kind of, I, you hear a lot of female coaches talk about, oh, you know, we're being, 
held back or we don't have the same, you know, people didn't look to us in the same way as male coaches or it's been a hard route. And, and I guess my thing is, is like, but we chose it right here. We are, let's just make the best of it. We all have things we're struggling with in life. Um, and what I loved about this book is there was none of that. Like, well, I, this happened to me for the gentleman who was, you know, had moved on to be a road scholar. He just looked at everything as a challenge to make him stronger. So I really couldn't, you know, that's, we all going to have hurdles and challenges. And I loved how the author was just kind of recapping how he, all that he went through just made him stronger later. So, um, it was pretty awesome. Yeah. What I wonder about that, and I, I'll read the book. It sounds really good. Maybe I'll, I have a book club with this podcast, so maybe I'll pick it for the book club. Oh, nice. Um, but what I always wonder with situations like that is like, who, if, if the Rhodes Scholar guy, did he have like one person in his life that maybe wasn't his parent, that just was that one right influence, that maybe it was even temporary, but that that was all he needed to, to know, I don't know, to, to be different, to choose different? I think what I kind of saw is one, both of the moms were doing their best, right? Because they talk about what the moms were like. So both of the moms were doing their best for their kids, but the gentleman who went on, the Westmore, who went on to be the Rhodes Scholar, mom was relentless and sent him away to military school when he started to get into trouble. And I think, and then there was someone, just like you said, who was that influence because he was didn't want to be there and he was not responding well to it, but he did have someone who he could kind of look up to and, and really help him bring together what was going on in his mind of like, well, here's what everyone in my neighborhood's doing. Here's what my neighbors and friends are doing. Why am I doing this? And to kind of have someone that helped bridge the gap that was kind of from a similar area, but was doing these great things at military school. So yeah, he did. I think, I think, but you also have to be open to it. Right, maybe we all have people who've come around us that we could help us drag us to another level or help pull us to another level. But as an individual, you have to be open to seeing that and, and letting it help you. Okay, everybody listening, that's on our list for book club picks. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Rachel, well, thank you so much for coming on and, and talking with everybody and sharing your swim and coach knowledge with our listeners. It was a ton of fun. Anytime. This was great. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. All right. Well, enjoy the rest of your day. All right. Thanks, Lindsay. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening today. Thank you, Four Sigmatic, for supporting this podcast. You guys can go to foursigmatic.com slash another and use the code another to get 15% off your order. You guys can follow me on Instagram, lindsayhine626. You can find me on Twitter at Lindsay Hine and you can find me on Facebook. I'll have another podcast with Lindsay Hine. We also have a group over there where we read a book together each month and also discuss other podcast related things. I want to say thank you so much to everybody who's reached out to me um, and told me they enjoyed listening to the 100th episode where Maggie Dials, my friend, um, interviewed me. It was weird being in the other seat and I really enjoyed chatting with Maggie and telling you guys a little bit more about my life. I feel like I could have talked for another five hours. <laughs> so maybe we'll do a follow-up with some listener questions. And speaking of that, uh, Glenn and I recorded a podcast where we do answer listener questions that were submitted um, in the Facebook group. So that's going out on my Patreon page this weekend, as well as an episode over there that I recorded with my sister, Erica. So you guys can get more content from me over there on my Patreon page if you go to patreon.com slash Lindsay 
Pine. I'm revamping that a little bit in 2018 to bring you some more content that is fun and exciting. Uh, thank you guys, all of you over there who are already supporting, and thank you guys, everybody who has tuned in today, everybody who listens every week. I really appreciate you. All right, that's all I got for you guys today. You guys have a wonderful Friday. Have a great weekend. And as always, I'll see you next Friday.